It's easy to be brave when you're second in charge of the kingdom. And it's easy to be generous when nobody's yet put money in your pocket. Today, we're going to see how this plays out in real time in Esther chapter 7 for such a time as this. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Storming the Gates podcast, where we are doing a series for such a time as this, going through the book of Esther. I am about to head out this morning to go see my brand new grandson. I am so excited. I thought that what I would do is come on here and prepare a podcast that I am going to post next Tuesday for y'all. So, um, yeah. What I thought I would do is just go through this book of Esther, chapter 7, share some thoughts, because this is really where the tide begins to turn. This is where uh, everything changes, the second banquet that Esther has with Haman and the king. Now, we know that previously, Esther had asked the king and Haman to a banquet, and the king went and said, what is it you want? And she said, come back tomorrow to another banquet. He said, okay. So she's kind of biding her time. And then I think it's interesting that meanwhile, what happened in the morning after the first banquet is Haman, the enemy of the Jews, ends up having to escort his enemy, Esther's uncle, all the way through Sushan, the great capital, shouting, this is what, you know, is done to the man whom the king honors. And he's totally embarrassed. He goes home. And just before he leaves for banquet number two, his wife and his wise men say, Oh, Haman, you're going against a Jew. It's not going to go good for you. Well, that's kind of prophetic. God put that warning there. And now we see as he goes to this banquet. So I hope you have your Bible open and you turn to Esther chapter 7. And let's look at verse 1. Alrighty, it says, So the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again unto Esther the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my white life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, in other words, if we had been sold as slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never contravail the king's damage. Again, means made up for all that the king would lose if he lost the Jewish people from among them. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he, that dare presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Can you imagine at that moment that she's telling the king this? And Haman has yet to realize that Esther, the queen, is actually a Jew until that moment when she turns and points her finger at him and says, it is this person 
Then it says in verse 6, Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And that is um, where I saw that this man just 24 hours ago came home bragging about what a great man he was, how wealthy, how wonderful. He'd been chosen to be second in charge to the king. And even Esther wanted just him and the king at the banquet. And he did not realize that the truth was that his life was about to be taken from him and he was ready to be judged. And I couldn't help but think how so many times in my own life, and I see it in other people's lives. Of course, we see it in other people's lives much better than our own because, you know, the same reason. We, like Haman, tend to think we are more noble than we really are. And that's why I said, you know, it's easy to be courageous when you're second in charge. I worked at a, a teen youth home for about six years. And sometimes they got very, very out of control, very threatening. And yet we were to stand and be calm and be relaxed, even as we tried to um, point them in the right direction. We'd say something to the effect like, um, I know that right now you're very angry because, you know, you didn't earn this reward. But the best thing to do right now would be just to have a seat, you know, and sometimes nothing you did would stop them. I was punched in the face. I had my hair pulled. I was attacked. I was chased. But I would always go into that job thinking, I'm going to be brave. I'm brave. I'm strong. But, you know, even the smallest of kid, when they came at me, I was like, ah. And I was always surprised how little courage I actually had. And so um, in our minds, we picture ourselves very noble. Quite a few years ago, I had two instances, and one in particular. A man had um, gotten a huge settlement from a wrongful death of a child. And so he said, when that settlement comes in, I'm going to invest it in the children in my area. And we actually planned a whole ministry and all that we were going to do and had gone to the city council and worked all these details out. And when the money came in, a little at a time, he was giving less and less. And in the end, not a dime went into children's ministry, the children's ministry. And I tend to think we in our minds picture ourselves very noble. If someone says, what would you do with $5 million, Joni? You know, of course, I'm going to say, I'm going to have a horse ranch for underprivileged kids. But I don't know whether or not I'm going to do that until the time comes. And I see where I actually put my money. In my mind, of course, I do the right thing. In my mind, I'm happy as I am, so I just give it all away. But there's something that happens in that sin nature of ours when the opportunity arises. Wow, that just made me think about all that we saw this last week in our capital where so many lawmakers ended up betraying our president and the Republican Party. I think that in their mind, they went into service, and it was probably for noble reasons. And they saw themselves as noble. They saw themselves as a defender of the people. They saw themselves as the one to, you know, write the laws and stand in the gap for, you know, the underprivileged but instead, when push comes to shove, when they needed courage, when their jobs were on the line, when they know um, what they're going to face if they go against the current 
uh, powers that be, and who knows if they were bribed or what happened, they folded. They folded so quick. And so I think when I look at Haman here, I feel like it is a call for us to self-examine and to let the Lord reveal uh, who we really are inside and to see his light. Now, I don't want him to, you know, show me everything. That would destroy me because I'd be like, what? But the Bible says, humble yourselves, you know, in the sight of the Lord, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. And so one way we humble ourselves, purify ourselves, draw close to the Lord, is say, Lord, shine that flashlight in the recesses of my soul. Show me where the cobwebs are. Show me where it's, it's filthy. Show me where there's mold growing. I need to see that because I want to be clean before you. Because when the time comes for me to do right and for me to have courage, I want to be the one to stand. I want to be the one that set that is strong because that strength comes from the Lord. Our strength comes from the Lord isn't just a you know, I can lift weights, I can endure, but our strength to do what is right. And God gives that to us. He gives it to us when we repent. You know, uh, earlier this year, we had the return and we held it at our church and it was a great event. I was very um, blessed that we could take part in it as a church and join up throughout the nation with so many other believers that were repenting of the sins of America. But one thing I noticed in my own heart and in some other people that I talked with at that time um, was that we didn't always feel that repentance. Like we had to like kind of like think in our heads, like, what do we need to repent of? What have we done wrong? (laughs) Where did we fail? And that's because repentance requires revelation. We need that revelation because when I'm on my knees before the Lord in the quiet morning hours, whoa, all of a sudden I might see something really ugly in myself. Or maybe I'm talking to my husband and he responds with, you know, kind of snaps at me and I think, well, what's wrong with him? And then when I go back, I take it to the Lord, I realize, wow, I was mean. I said something stupid. I was being selfish. So we need that revelation before before we're at the banquet and that finger is pointing our way and it says, thou art the man. This is so important in your life. You might think, no, I I don't really want to know what I'm doing wrong. But you know what? Right now, maybe things are comfortable for you. When things are comfortable, I feel like I must be doing something right. I'm comfortable. I have what I need. But having all you need is not really saying you're doing everything right. In fact, it's when we're going through those hard times that we might be doing something right. Because in John 15, it says that um, the Lord prunes the branches that are bearing fruit. And, you know, so when we're being pruned, that hurts. But that shows we're bearing fruit. And we want to bear even more fruit, as the Bible points out. So come before the Lord, repent Don't trust your brain to say, you're doing okay. All right, let's go ahead and finish this chapter. There's not much more to it, and I think it's really interesting what happens here. So Esther points out Haman, and then 
it says at the end of six, then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. I mean, King Azarus, he didn't mess with the man. He didn't mess with him. We've already seen he turns on a dime and he's now walked into the garden and he is furious and he feels betrayed. And I thought about this, like, why did he feel betrayed? He knew he'd signed the edict. He's like, sure, Haman, go ahead and kill all the, you know, kill these people. Well, my husband pointed out that Haman didn't tell him who or what people was going to be destroyed. Haman said, there's a people that don't follow your rules, king. And the king was like, what? I got a feeling this Haman was a slick guy. He was slick. He got by an annihilation of a huge population of the king's people by kind of making it sound like it's some little group, kind of way out there in one of your 107 provinces. And the king didn't realize that it was the Jewish people. And when he realizes this, he is, he's betrayed. He's betrayed. And when you feel betrayed, man, oh man, you know, it's like fool me once, but it, it, it's painful. And he left. He, he, he's so angry. He leaves and he's out in the palace garden in uh, verse eight. And he returns out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine and Haman was fallen upon the bed where Aunt Esther was. Because back then they would lay down to eat, you know, their meals. And Haman was so upset that he had fallen upon her as she was laying on the bed. And you didn't touch the queen, baby. You did not have anything to do with the queen. The man is desperate, but now it is too late. Then said the king, will he force the queen also before me in the house? And as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. They knew he was a dead man. They didn't even wait. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, and by the way, we met Harbona earlier. He tends to advocate for Esther and for Mordecai. And it's interesting because apparently, you know, I feel like some of the eunuchs and the servants loved Mordecai and Esther and were supportive of them. You know how it is. They see what's going on but they never can say anything. But all of a sudden, Harbona has a chance to say something of what he has been seeing, probably for years. And one of the chamberlains said before the king, behold also the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who spoke good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. When I read the book of Esther, there's some things I see in there that make me feel like God wants to reveal something of his character in this particular place. And I feel like this is where God is telling us, I see when you are betrayed. I see when people are coming after you. I see when you have been wronged. And we might feel people are getting away with the most atrocious, horrible of deeds. And on this earth, they do. But nobody gets away with it forever. And above all, 
We cannot get away without receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, especially if you just listen to this uh, broadcast. That means you are responsible for what you just heard. And just like we talked about thinking we're more, more noble than we are, uh, there's this thing, I can't remember, Charles Finney used to call it like safeties for sinners. We tend to say, but I'm a good person, but I did this, but I did that. And no, we're not good people. We're selfish people. We think of ourselves all the time. And a lot of the good things we do, we're really doing for ourselves. We're not noble. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can know it? We we are not noble. You're not noble. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you this. You're not noble. You are a sinner. And you're in the hands of God, who is righteous, perfect, and holy. And if he stood before you right now, you wouldn't be able to stand up before him simply because of his sheer holiness shining against your complete and utter wickedness. And that is why he sent his son Jesus, because in his mercy, he wanted to give us a way out. And it's up to you to repent and to say, oh God, forgive me, and grab a hold of his hand and and repent before it's too late and say, Lord, forgive me, I need you. And the Lord will be the one to change you. The Lord in you will be noble. And then you will see him work through you, uh, molding you and making you what he wants you to be. But again, not you, not your flesh, which will never be perfect, but God in you, getting more and more room to be who he desires to be through you. And it's exciting. It's exciting. So um, I encourage you today to draw near to God, to turn your life over to him. If you're like, but I am a good person. I mean, once I go to heaven, I believe in God. I don't know. Repentance requires revelation. So I implore you to go before him and to ask for that revelation. Ask him to unveil who you really are and to give him your heart and soul. And that applies even if you know for a fact you're born again Christian, because daily we wash our feet before him. And, um, wow, I need to go do that today. I have a long drive ahead of me, and I'm going to be doing that. I'd like to pray before we go, and I'll see you again next week and for such a time as this. Lord, Forgive us, first of all, for thinking we're noble, for thinking we're good people, for thinking what we're earning our way to heaven and the good things that have come into our life have come into our life because of how good we are. When the truth is, it's because you love us so much and you have such great mercy on us. Lord, I thank you. I know you created us to do uh, good deeds and that you have destinies for each of us. But Lord, allow those destinies are hindered by sin that we have allowed to build up in the corners, even whole rooms uh, of our, the house which is within us, Lord God. God, forgive us for hiding, for hiding our sin from ourselves as well as from you. And Lord, we ask that you will expose what is within us, that you will humble us as we humble ourselves before you, that you will break us, Lord God, with the things that break your heart in order that we might be fully 
and completely yours. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, for his death on the cross that paved a way for our forgiveness. May we be humbled for eternity by that act of grace. Alrighty. Amen. We'll see you next week.